0: With the help of God and a community of dads helping each other on their journey, you can be the leader your family deserves. We welcome you to the journey of the Christian Dad podcast. All right, guys, we are back uh, post Christmas, New Year's time of year, and got a topic that I'm going to bring to you guys today that I've been uh, I don't know looking for somebody without actually seeking seeking the person out, and uh, we just have a great topic that I think is going to help a lot of guys. you know, be a little bit clear about where, where they want to be going forward and uh, give you guys some tools to uh, just really be better dads and also um, kind of be able to connect with other guys who have gone through some stuff and have some father wounds out there. So over the years, um, you know, I've met guys that uh, you can see their like actions that they take are, you know, sometimes like don't match up to who you know them as, but when you go back to them, you know, as a child, you're like, oh my gosh, the reason why this person had this violent reaction was because or this negative reaction or this anger outburst or this and um, you know even though anyway, <laughs> you guys know where I'm going with that. So with with that said, we have got a fantastic fantastic uh, kind of subject matter expert and also I love the fact that I already said she, So she is a woman, no (laughs) surprise there, but often we've got guys as guests, but, uh, G, G, she, G, ah, dang it. I practiced this to get it right. G -G Denard. (laughs) Tell us how you really say it. (laughs) G
1: -G Denard.
0: Oh, you're so good at saying your name. (laughs) Uh,
1: Small, small
0: victories. (laughs) Yes. Yes. So, uh, (laughs) you, you, uh. You've got master's degrees and Howard and uh, JD, you know, attorney degree from Stanford Law, and you've been working in this field forever. And um, your background is also one where where you didn't have a dad in your home. You didn't know your dad for 17 years. So you're, you know, right there with a lot of the guys that I talk to and a lot of the guys that, that listen to this. On the flip side, a lot of guys are like. Well, hey, that's not me. Like, I had a great dad that was at the house, or I had a dad that was around all the time, or whatever. But some of the topics we're going to cover today are going to, you know, speak to all the guys that are listening today, all the dads that are listening today. So you have a really, really cool book out there called Hungry for Wholeness, a call to pursue healing and restoration in your father child relationship. And you do workshops on that as well. So right. let, let's jump in. Let's jump in. Tell tell us anything
1: I missed or or how you want to how you want to say hi to the audience. Uh, I'm so delighted to be here, Dan. Thank you so much. This is clearly uh, such near and dear to my heart, um, both from a personal experience as well as I think just, you know, a mission that the Lord to which the Lord's assigned me. Um, And I think somewhat born out of that experience, as you mentioned, I didn't meet my dad until I was 17. And that was fraught with all kinds of things that were missing in my development as a young lady and created havoc. (laughs) Um, And uh, of course, while you're in it, you may or may not realize the impact, right? And, And quite frankly, even sometimes when you have a father present, sometimes there are things going on that it's what you know, so it's normal and it's natural for you, but it still may not be healthy in some ways. And so I try to help both on the father side and on the child side, <laughs> help people identify those areas where maybe your father wounds are still impacting you. I think that's the other thing. A lot of times we don't we don't understand that it if it's not dealt with, it it continues to impact you. It impacts your relationships with spouses, it impacts your relationships with your kids, it impacts your relationships often uh particularly with men with authority figures uh at work, you know. Um it impacts relationships with pastors often. Um I've talked to so many pastors who find men men who had troubled relationships with their fathers have difficulties uh dealing with the authority of a pastor and what that really means in your life and shepherding because they didn't have that and they don't know that and it feels weird you know and all kinds of things that happen so so it's a, a far reaching kind of thing and and it's i feel like in the church it's way too little talked about and so as a result we just keep doing things you know we we keep having children and raising children with what we know but not really necessarily understanding the God's heart about fatherhood and and then how to break free from some of these things that have been keeping men in chains, you know, unwittingly. You know, not even men with the greatest heart's desire to change a lot of times just don't don't have a picture of how. Like how do I do that? How do I change these behaviors? And it's really an inside out work. <laughs> and and that is another sometimes a barrier. You know, um, that is not in America, in Western society as common for men to be brought into this place of inside work.
0: Um, (laughs) Uh, You you use the term inside work. Probably most of the guys get it, but expand on what you mean. Okay. So what
1: I mean by, you know, a lot of times guys will focus on changing behaviors, which would be outside work. You know, you want to fix a problem men, yes, yeah, men we naturally fix it, like, tend to be fixers, right? Yes. So they want to fix a problem, but they, they're also more externalizers. They relate to their external environments more. So they will want to fix a behavior and not understanding that because the inner work, that soul piece, their mind, will, and emotions are wounded and not healed. And so you just can't slap a new behavior on. You might for a short period of time, but it can't last because the foundation is really the inside. What am I, how do I identify in my mind? You know, what am I, how do my emotions track when these kinds of things come up, right? Um, When you don't, and men aren't typically brought into that space often, you know, where it's like, okay, what are you feeling for real though? you know, and did you even notice that you got really angry a minute ago? Did you see that? Do you have any idea like why you did that? Because like you said, a lot of times you see men, you know them, you know, you're in fellowship with them. And then you see this behavior that looks like it comes out of nowhere. Well, it didn't. It's been sitting on that emotion, that inner peace, that inner place all this time. (laughs) You just had an opportunity to see it released. And unfortunately, sometimes they get released at home behind closed doors. You don't see it in church. you don't see it at the men's fellowship, but their kids are saying it, yeah, their wives are saying it you know and and nobody's calling them to say, "Okay, come on let's let's work on this from the inside out, and that's what I want to do. I want to help you know, let's work on this from the inside out and i and I you know started out by saying you know, women are more wired that way. And so it's much easier for me, you know, for women to identify with, okay, that really hurt me, you know, and articulate it and be okay articulating it. You know, that may not be comfortable for a lot of men. You know, I've I listened to one of your podcasts and I think he was great. And I agree entirely as he was talking about strength, you know, as a character or encourage, you know, as a character that uh really uh describes what manhood is about in from God's perspective but what we what what that gets translated into though <laughs> is often missed right so that means courage means that i don't get hurt or that somehow if i felt hurt that's some weakness on my part and and i'm not strong and that's not true And so part of it is breaking down those lies, breaking down those myths about what some of, you know, that manhood looks and feels like, and it is not detached from your emotional and psychological experiences. And so they have to be in alignment. You know, your behaviors won't be in alignment with the word when your heart and mind aren't in alignment with God's heart as a father. And getting to that place and being able to identify, ah, okay, I can see how and why this triggers this response in me. Um, and and actually taking them walking them back through some of their experiences so that they can identify so wh- where did that all begin? You know, since when did I feel that? You know, and a lot of times there's this wounded little boy on the inside who just grew up into adulthood and nobody ever helped them heal. And so they carry that woundedness into their future.
0: So we could have uh, we could have grown up with dads that were absent. We could have grown up with dads that were like present, ultimate, present but ultimate disciplinarians, like crack the whip.
1: Right, and, the authoritarian type. You know, type, uh, you know uh, my yeah, way or the highway. Yeah. You know, because they don't understand that authority, God's authority, is filled with compassion. You know, when we look at at God's heart. You know, the the story of the father and the prodigal son story, you know, that's God's heart on Mm. display as a father. Right. (laughs) But that father had compassion on this wayward son who had, you know, disrespected, disregarded. You know, a lot of times men want to be respected. They don't understand that part of manhood is being respectful, Mm. being respectful of your wife, being respectful of your children. That doesn't mean they run over you, it, but it means that you respect them as human beings. You respect them as the fact that they might need some further understanding. They might, you know, they might they might need something different than just a you know a directive. <laughs> um, and and if and so we confuse sometimes, you know, authority with being authoritarian, which is really different.
0: Very different, very different. Very different. You've, you brought up the word respect.
1: Yes. <laughs>
0: <laughs> <laughs> Women and it's men, men are different. No. Correct. No, yeah. no crazy, crazy talk there. At least exactly. not on this podcast. Not
1: on this podcast. Thank God. Yes. And
0: uh, talk about men and respect. And respect, I don't know if you've got. Sure. I don't know if you've got a women's like
1: equivalent, <laughs> equ-
0: equivalent, or even perspective, perspective. or yeah, or perspective where, where that, sure. where that. Um, difference like any anything in that realm because i that, that word respect a big, really 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 is a big deal
1: that is a big deal so so yeah let me start with saying that uh it's so hilarious i was actually listening to somebody else's podcast earlier today and she was talking about submission the whole podcast was about submission and authority and and they were talking about it from a biblical perspective and so when god talks about Wives respecting their husbands, for instance. Uh, That's a big deal. First of all, I think in this time, day and age, women don't get that. They don't get that that's a really, really big deal. Like, don't take it lightly. So I think a lot of times, based, you know, based on either their own experiences, what they've seen, what they've been taught by mothers or other women in their lives, what they've seen in media you know media has just trashed the concept of respecting men respecting yes. fathers i mean just completely it's in the toilet right so so you know i have witnessed i have witnessed uh mothers wives disrespecting their husbands in public in the grocery store and as a result their kids do the same right and 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 part of it is because they really don't understand that that w- that men are hardwired <laughs> for respect in in a lot of ways the same way that women are hardwired to be nurtured and protected mm-hmm. and and so you know what what i see that disturbs me is that a lot of times women want men to step up you know there's this thing of step up you know, you're not being the man you need to be, right? But they don't understand that part of their role as a helpmeet is to respect him into that place. It's something that helps bring out the confidence in men for them to be who they are and and lead <laughs> <laughs> um as they're designed to. And because women often there's there's this whole you know, dialogue and mantra that tends to make people think that leading somebody means that you're superior to them, which is not the case and not at all God's intent and has nothing to do with being able to respect somebody. Absolutely nothing to do with that at all. Um, I actually just also wrote a book on leadership culture. And and that's one of the things I talk about is that, you know, leading is not, you know, wielding authority. Hmm. And so the same is true And as fathers and husbands, um, that that respecting men will help bring out the kind of leadership that women are really looking for. Um, And it's it's like you can't have one without the other. You know, you can't you can't tell him to step up and then dog him right in front of his friends. You know, that just doesn't work.
0: Yeah, yeah.
1: that just really doesn't work.
0: So but mm-hmm. I
1: think that that if women would understand that it doesn't mean being a doormat, it doesn't mean, you know, laying down and let somebody trample you. It means supporting him, you know, respecting his leadership, you know, uh seeking his counsel, you know, ex create you know, creating an environment where you're where you communicate to him both by word and deed, that you trust him to lead you in this relationship. Um so I a minute yes.
0: a minute or two ago in my head I had hundreds of guys saying, Tell me how to make her do that. Tell me.
2: <laughs> like
0: you know, standing up in a room and like uh-huh. <laughs> and 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 I know we can't make her do that. Well, so in one a way the way you question can. is wrong, but but yeah. in a
1: way you can, and that's to do your half of Ephesians five. So the word says to the man to love your wife. You notice it doesn't say to for the wife to love her husband. You know, right, I've always thought right. that was interesting. It doesn't say that. No. And but because what will happen is <laughs> if he will love his wife as Christ did and lay down his life for her as Christ did for the church, I guarantee you she will love and respect him. Mm-hmm. It is a symbiotic exchange. Women who do not feel loved will not respect their husbands. I can just tell you that, man. I'm sorry to tell you. It is what it is. Um, Even if intellectually, you've got a woman of God who knows, you know, that that's what I'm supposed to do. But it will be very hard for her to do that and sustain it if she doesn't feel loved and protected by that husband. And by that, I mean... You've got to recognize that her heart is precious and you've got to treasure that. And you can't just think you can damage that and, you know, walk away and want your dinner on time. You know, it's just, it's not going to happen. And so the, the, how do I make her do that? You, you, you woo her into doing it. You woo her into doing it by loving her and laying down your life. Women who know that, and and this is it's interesting because this is also true I'm just going to interject this for fathers and daughters in particular. Um you know I had you know I didn't meet my father until I was 17 but my father my father loved me with just unrelenting love, a passionate father's love. And so I remember telling somebody at one point, you know, I didn't know how to swim. I still don't know how to swim. And my father (laughs) had wanted to teach me how to swim. And my father was actually, my father swam in the military. Okay. So, you know, he was a really good swimmer to be like an African-American man who made a swim team.
0: Yeah, no doubt, no doubt.
1: He was like a really, really good swimmer. But all the other teachers that I'd had, I was afraid. Like, I didn't trust them that they cared enough about me to make sure I didn't die in the water. Hmm. Like, yeah, I know that's your job, but, you know... (laughs) You might look off and I might drown and and then it'll be oops. Right. Yeah. So I didn't trust that. Um, My brother, although I knew he loved me, he was also extremely playful and played lots of jokes and tricks. And I'm like, okay, you might love me, but you still might accidentally have me drown because you're playing around.
2: Yeah. Yeah. I
1: didn't trust him either to teach me how to swim. But when my dad came along, I was so confident. I told people there is no way that Bobby Deadweiler will let his baby girl drown no way. <laughs> it's that, it's that kind of confidence. Like there is no way that my husband is going to leave me hanging. You know, there is no way that my husband's going to let some other man disrespect me. It's that kind of thing.
2: <laughs> mm-hmm.
1: You know, it's, she's got to know that when she knows that, believe you me, love and respect is coming your way in, <laughs> in, in, in droves.
0: That was funny. One time years ago, my, me and my daughter were going sledding, Uh We went, we went down this big hill. Well, unbeknownst to us, there was a rock underneath Uh the snow. Uh And so we smacked right into that rock and both of us went flying and we, we end up, are you okay? Are you okay? Dad, how could you let that happen? Right. You're supposed to protect me.
1: That's right. And I'm like, That's who right. told you this? <laughs> I'm
0: <I'll laughs> telling you. You're I don't little know. Bitty. We get,
1: somehow we know that, just like out of the womb or something. I don't know. <laughs> yeah. You talk
0: about uh, you talk about different different types of fathers. Mm-hmm. Uh, throw some examples out there. Uh, for okay, us.
1: so we talked about the authoritarian. I also want to talk about the apathetic form, which I think a lot of men and women experience today. So and as as one of your guests was talking about, a lot of times, um, and we were talking about people in my generation, you know, boomers, men were focused on going to work, making a living. Um, and sometimes just trying to make sure that their kids had opportunities, college, et cetera, that they perhaps didn't have or, you know, that their fathers weren't able to give them, right? And so there's all this focus on <clears throat> providing physically, materially kind of thing, but not understanding that men are supposed to provide spiritually and emotionally and intellectually in their homes as well. And so you may have had a father who was at home, but was not really there for you, you know, and maybe you guys ate dinner together or something, but didn't participate in listening to you and hearing your dreams and aspirations or spending quality time with you just to hang out, you know, kind of thing and and show interest in you as a son or daughter. And and that wounds kids. Um, and even those that, you know, a lot of times then the the child grows up and says, well, I did all right. You know, you know, my dad, you know, did all right by me. You know, he was there, you know, kind of thing. He didn't cheat on my mom. You know, he was there. OK. And so you think you're OK, too. <laughs> except you're not really because there were things that a dad is supposed to pour into you to help your development that is now missing. Mm-hmm. And so it's not too late to get it, but you first have to recognize that something's missing and that you don't have all that God would desire you to have to then pour into your kids. Um, another type would be the accusing father. Um and I, even though I know we're talking to dads, this might end up being parents.
2: Yeah, Some of these, yeah.
1: right? This could end up being parents in on either side of the coin. I actually did have an accusing mother. So imagine I have an accusing mother, no father, and a mother who was not super on the nurturing end of the spectrum.
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah. And that's kind of her thing, right? Like that should be her thing. Yeah,
1: but it wasn't. So and and you know, I know there's I a lot of things. lot
0: of women out there like that like, exactly you know not yes. not ninety percent or ninety five percent you know nothing like that but, but yeah it,
1: it's <laughs> right. it's surprising
0: when I it's, run into a, a yeah. non nurturing mother
1: mother and so yeah. if you're raising a girl in particular right so I'm not getting nurtured by the mom or a dad right and so I'm just like collecting wounds. You know,
2: mm-hmm.
1: just constantly collecting wounds. Um, but again, you you know, particularly de- where I grew up, you know, women press through. You 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 press through. You push through. You you make stuff happen. You do what you got to do. You you know, it was that kind of thing. And so I felt like I had to make my own way. You know, um, and 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 not a lot of guidance because my mother's. Answer nine times out of 10 was because I said so. Mm-hmm. So questions were not, she was both authoritarian and accusing. Let me, well, the,
0: because I said so is like such a common response. And this might be putting you on the spot a little bit, but is it ever okay to use that one?
1: Um, I do think it's okay when there has been ample training beforehand. Yeah, yeah. You know, um <laughs> and I think even it's okay if it's if context is added. So I'll give you an example. I was actually with my godson uh, and we spent a lot of time together, so he knew me, you know yeah, yeah, he just forgot he was with me for me <laughs> um, <laughs> because his parent, his mother in particular kind of let him do anything and everything and and everybody knew that that was not happening at, on my watch. and right. we were all good with that, right? He yeah. was good with that. We had lots of fun together. But in a moment, he he forgot for a minute. And so we were on the highway. I'm trying to take him somewhere, but I think I'm lost. And there's a police car right next to me. And I want to ask the police officer if I'm heading in the right direction. Yeah. <laughs> so I say to him, roll down the window real quick. And he turns to me, and he's like six. He goes, why? And I... <laughs> I did momentarily. I'm thinking he did not just say that to me. Are you (laughs) kidding me? And so first I did say because I said so, but I followed it with. And furthermore, if any adult gives you an instruction that is not putting you in harm's way, you need to do it, buddy. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. But again, this wasn't like our first tango, right? Yeah, yeah. I wouldn't have said that two years ago, you know, but now we've been hanging out for six years. I was there when he was born. You know, so we've been hanging out on a regular for six years. He knows better. He just temporarily lost his mind. Yeah, um,
0: yeah. <laughs> on the flip side, I can see being six years old and there's a police officer next to me, like, "What's what's up?
1: Like, right. what just happened?" <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> so, um, but yeah, so but I don't, you know, or, it wasn't or I didn't do
0: anything. I'm six. Like, I'm just sitting here. Like right, I'm, <laughs> I'm
1: just six years old, right? <laughs> but no, it wasn't a regular kind of thing, and I don't think it should be a regular. Kind of thing. I do think that there's a level of training that you can get kids to, and and there's a, and I and I think there's probably, I will probably say something more like nowadays. I probably say something like, please don't do that. Mm -hmm. You know, please don't, (laughs) please don't ask me that kind of question in this kind of context. You mm-hmm. know, and and talk yeah, the, the
0: tone of voice and that yeah, absolutely matters quite a bit. Absolutely. So it wasn't it wasn't the words, it was the it,
1: it, right, defiance right, right. about
0: it. Yeah, 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 understand. Yeah.
1: And so, um, and I think that that there is a way to communicate that at times, but I don't think that should be the go to,
2: mm-hmm. which was
1: the case with my mom. It was just kind of like everything. And even when I would ask questions, like legitimate questions. Mm-hmm. You know, I remember getting in trouble once when I was seven. Again, my brother's eight years older than I am. So we had a very different sense of understanding about things, right? Right. And so I, to this day, I don't know what I said, but apparently I said something to a neighbor about our family that I was not supposed to have shared. Oh. Correct. But I'm seven. Right. Right. So whatever one, was, I didn't think it was a secret. <laughs> so my brother told on me and told my mother, Gigi's out here telling our business. I didn't even know what that meant.
0: Right, I right. We
1: had business, you know. I didn't know what that, what that even meant. I got spanked and punished because of that. And when I asked her why, you know, like what did I do wrong, it was like you know better, because I, you know, and I was like, well, no, not really. <laughs> you know, that was another one. She would say things like, "You know better," and I, and I want to bring that out to say, parents and maybe even husbands and wives sometimes presume understanding on the other person that is simply not there. You think they ought to know better and therefore you think they do know better, mm-hmm. but they really may not. Again, by virtue of, of, of their own upbringing and what might've happened in their worlds, you have no idea, you know, sometimes you just have no idea things that people have gone through. You know, I, I, this is kind of a gross example, but it was first when it came to mind, like I've talked to guys who had no idea that you should wash your hands when you go to the bathroom Yeah, because they weren't taught that. And so somebody could easily say, well, you ought to know that. Well, no, because there's like, there's no gene that tells you that. Right, right. Somebody has to teach you that at some point in your life. And if and you're all you're growing up, you didn't find that out till you were 26. That's not your fault, and don't be mad at him because he doesn't know
0: that. I was uh, in the military, and it was funny to see examples of – that might have been like one of the examples, but like other things of just yeah. normal behavior. Yeah, right. Like, what's, what's up? And it was funny to see some of like, my real direct people, hey, wash your hands, boy. Right. Yeah. <laughs> like, yeah. what was that? Like that quick right. little – But the way they, whoever, you know, that personality style, like the other person got it, like, oh, geez, I'm
1: doing societal
0: norms. Like I'm I'm crazy. Yes. Uh, Like a drill sergeant type uh, (laughs) puts people back in line real quick. And if they didn't know what line they're supposed to be in, like they're shown, shown quickly.
1: Yeah. But we don't, you know, from God's perspective, we don't want to shame people into understanding and knowledge. Right. And I think, A lot of times that's what happens with accusing fathers and authoritarian fathers. There's a there's a tendency to shame kids into submission and obedience. And that's not healthy. That's not God's heart. Um, Mm -hmm. There are better ways to do that is what I'm saying. You know, um, uh, give us a better way. (laughs) Well, for one thing, you know, the Bible doesn't say rebuke a child in the way they should go. It says train. Training, yeah. In the way they should go. And so training, training really isn't yelling at <laughs> training really isn't Um, tra- training involves an exchange. There is, you know, I actually have been a trainer like professionally. Right. Develop training programs. Right. Curricula for lots for businesses and everything. So training involves an exchange. It 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 requires an understanding on the part of the recipient and a validation by the person who's training that they actually understood it. It is not just telling somebody something. Sometimes it's not even just showing somebody something. There are people who think that you can just show somebody something once and walk away and you expect them to remember it. And if it's not something they do all the time, they they may not remember that. They got shown that, that once. That's not training. Training means that somebody actually met some objectives and learned some something that something was actually learned that they then know how to apply when they leave this moment of training.
0: Yeah. In the military we had tell them what we're going to do, show them what we're going to do, let them do
1: And then, you know,
0: and then then have a debrief and then have a debrief. That's right. Cycling through until you So
1: validation is critical in the training Mm -hmm. process until you have validated that they got it. They don't got it, Mm -hmm. you know? And so it's important. So patients, is another piece that's, you know, one of those fruits of the spirits that's very important in the practice of training children. When you are, you know, leading boys into being men, this is not a one and done. You know, there is no like, give them a book, give them to read it, and they're good. You know, this right. is this is not what that's like. It's a journey, you know, and and walking them, walking it out with them. You know, um, it's important for fathers to teach daughters how they should allow men to treat them. That doesn't come from just a conversation that comes from experience. Fathers, take your daughters out, spend time with them one-on-one, love them, lavish them, cherish them, let them know that they're incredibly special, that they have immense worth and value. And so that way, when some dude comes along who has no idea of what that means, they will be able to recognize that, oh, yeah, no, that's not something. Yeah, no, sorry, I don't, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you <laughs> You talk to my dad, though. He can I've help you good, out with this.
0: I've got a good friend, and he shared his uh, 2024 goals, and in that it was uh, take his wife out twice a month, mm-hmm. and he's got two daughters. Take each one of those out once mm-hmm. a month. Yeah. So he's going on a date yeah. with each daughter every month, and yeah. – two dates with his wife it's so so cool that that you know you've put a emphasis on it like it may have been a uh thought that you were going to do these things and you look back at 2023 and went huh not quite as often as i intended and now he's got some you know design behind it And he's got his goals and he's got you know these these are the dates when these things are going to happen happen yeah so
1: intentionality
0: intentionality that's another
1: major piece of this None of this is just going to drop down on you like a cloak. You have to be intentional. You have to be intentional about getting healed. You have to be intentional about becoming the best dad and father you can be. It you just talked
0: about uh, being healed. So what are some of the principles that you use to help uh, people be healed? Yeah, yeah.
1: Yeah, the beginning is is actually recognizing. That's step one. It's both recognizing the father wounds that you have It's recognizing how your interactions or lack thereof with your father impacted you because it doesn't look the same on everybody. So for instance, even somebody who had an absent father, like I was saying, for me as a girl, it led me to promiscuity. Um, Sometimes it has led other girls into being extremely masculine. It has led yet other girls into being incredibly fearful and timid, like constantly mm-hmm. all the time, just don't know how to escape being timid and fear, fearful. So you've got to, I help people walk through how a process of identifying how did the absence affect me?
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Um, and then also look at these five types of fathers and kind of get a baseline for what you were dealing with. And mm-hmm. sometimes those work, the, the exercises we do kind of work hand in hand. And I also help fathers. So I talk to them about what kind of father both did you have and have you been. <laughs> um, yeah. You know, what kind of father have you been and what kind of father did you have? Um, and and so I we provide a baseline of recognizing what's going on here and how it's impacted you. And then we move into the repent and release cycle. <laughs> um, and at that step, we acknowledge. Acknowledgement is real huge. Acknowledge all the negative feelings that you have stored up about this. Um, you may be angry. You may be resentful. You may be hurt. You may be uh, walking in unforgiveness. You may have a real root of bitterness that's you know implanted in your heart that you don't know how to break off and uproot. Um, uh, you may be afraid. You know there are all these kinds of negative emotions that you might be experiencing as a result of whatever experience you had. So we look at that and then we renounce it. We reject it. We do exercises, write a letter, you know, what would you say to this person if you could say everything you really wanted to say, you know, kind of thing, but take people actually through an exercise to repent and release and talk about the fact that repentance is a choice and a decision. It's not a feeling. So your emotions may not have caught up with you yet today. And that's okay. Again, I take people into a jump start. It's not, the, it's the beginning. It is, it, and it's a journey. It's not an event. Um, and then I go to step three, which is receiving, which is receiving God's father love for you, because I believe that's essential to wholeness and the healing process. And so we look at scripture, we talk about experiences, um, things that we've seen. I share experiences I've had, things I've watched you know, how this looks, how this sounds, how this, you know, because a lot of times just reading a scripture doesn't get it. It's kind of like, okay, yeah, I, the words on that page, I know what they mean, but I have no idea what that looks like.
2: You mm-hmm. know, what
1: is, what does that really look like? You know? So we talk about those things um, and walk through exercises again to do that. I also created a 12 week companion diary so that after you leave my workshop, I give you sort of 12 weeks of support by giving opportunity to daily revisit one aspect any of those of those three steps and kind of focus on you know a kind of a guided tour through mm-hmm. the journey for 12 weeks, which can you know position people to like really have breakthrough
0: where Where are some challenges when we get to the step three the receiving God's father love where where do people commonly say no. Uh, i I'm not doing that,
1: you know it's funny. people don't typically say no. they say I don't know how. um people don't typically reject the idea because and when I say no
0: when I say no, I, that's what I'm talking about is oh. the, yeah you you know you nailed, you nailed it with your words okay but, okay. Uh, re- <laughs> okay resist you know resist yeah the they resist
1: the, it because they don't it's unfamiliar if they have not experienced the love of a father in particular, God's, God's type of love, then, then they're kind of like, yeah, I'm good. <laughs> you know, like, yeah, because they don't, they don't understand that one, you have to replace things when you remove things. Cause we all have a, we all have a hole in our hearts. That's a God sized hole that only God can fill.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: And so we're constantly trying to fill it with other things.
2: constantly. Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah, all, the all the time. We're all, all trying the time. to do that, right? And then we remember, like, oh yeah, that's right. <laughs> that's not really gonna satisfy us. You know, we're gonna have to get that from God. And the same is true with love, receiving love, giving love, you know, being able to express God's father heart. You have to receive it to express it. You cannot pour from an empty cup. And that's frequently the thing that I try to help them understand that, okay. You say you want this. You want to have this godly relationship with your children. You say you want to be able to pour into your children. You want to be able to lead them as a man of God in your household. You cannot do that. It, not that you don't want to, but you're incapable of doing that without letting God pour that into you first.
2: Mm-hmm. Because
1: you can't pour from an empty cup. If you don't have it, you don't have it to give.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: And that's usually the breaker, you know. That and then it's kind of like, okay, well, how do I do that? What does that look like, you know? And 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 so we we talk about identity, you know, being identifying as a son of God. You know, what does that even mean to you? What is, you know, it's about crafting that relationship with God as your father, so that you can even know what being poured into as a son looks and feels like. So then you'll know how to di- disseminate that mm-hmm. yourself. You know, you just—it's—it's—it's an—it's really not a complicated concept, but it's—it's it's so foreign to a lot of men. It's just a foreign concept. Like, what on earth are you talking about? And I, and I
0: think that may you know be the same for women too, huh?
1: Not as much. Theirs is more having to rid themselves of whatever judgment they had against their dads. Okay, But the concept itself, they're looking to be poured into by a father. Right. So there's a natural yearning. There's a yearning for that for men, too. They just don't. We don't talk about it. They don't. Yeah. They don't. They're not as conscious of it. And they want to be poured into differently. And that's that's important to understand. They don't want to be poured into the same way girls do. But they want to be poured into, too. They they want a hero. They want. You know, somebody who's going to like stand up and show them what it's like to be a man. They want somebody that they can have those tough conversations with as they're growing into young men that, unfortunately, you can't just start talking to your sons when they're 16, 17 and expect them to open up to you. If you have not been talking to them when they were three and four and five and six, it doesn't just magically occur. It's like any other relationship; it takes time and development. So, you know, the 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 fathers, regardless of, because it's not about perfection. I think that's another thing. Guys tend to be a lot more hard on themselves about getting things right, <laughs> and sometimes it's not about getting it right; it's about the consistency of pursuing it mm-hmm. and being willing to acknowledge that part of courage and manhood also says and leadership says manning up and owning mistakes. So if you've yelled at your kid because you had a really rough day yesterday, go back to your child and say, hey, you know what, man, I'm so sorry. Yesterday I was out of sorts. You know, I let the job get the best of me. I came home, was not, you know, in the right frame of mind to deal with you and your mom. You know, please forgive me for that. That's modeling manhood. (laughs) That's modeling pouring, you know, it's, it's, but those conversations have to start like at the beginning. Yeah. So yeah. unfortunately, a lot of times I think dads think, okay, well, he's 14, 15 now, you know, he's ready to start becoming a man. Now I can talk to him. Well, he's not trying to talk to you. You ain't talked to him for the first 13 years of his life. <laughs> he's talking to his friends. He's not talking to you. And so that's, that's a big point. Of it. It's like really realizing that uh, as, as one minister, I know, put it, you know, Fatherhood is from, you know, the cradle to the grave. And it may look different in seasons, but your presence is required at every season. Your actual presence is required. Your active listening is required. You're displaying interest, you know, you know, one of the coolest things. Most people, I'm sure, on this podcast have probably seen Courageous, you know, the movie. And it's like, you know, that man did not want to run. You hear me? You know, (laughs) he was like, I hate running. And I get that, you know, but at that point, he didn't really have another place to connect with his son. That's the place where the son was reaching out. So he needed to man up and go run.
0: Yeah, yeah.
1: You know, you know, I, I felt for him. I hate running too. But, <laughs> but, but understanding and we have tools now that can really help. I know that uh, Gary Chapman's been on your program. Oh, yeah. You know, and so that's, you know, something else they incorporate as I help people. It's like, understand what your child's love languages are. Oh my God, would that have solved so many, much of the heartache that I experienced as a child, even with all the other things on with my mom. If I had just understood that even about myself, yeah, yeah, that would have relieved me of agony for years because I didn't understand that my mother and I had come in addition to all the wow, other stuff. Yeah. We also had completely different love languages. Right. So, you know, when I would say stuff like, why don't you, you know, can we watch a movie together and hang out? Because quality time is one of my top two. And she would say yes. But while we were watching the movie, she was ironing clothes and doing something else. Right. And I would say, come on, I thought you said we're going to watch. She's like, I'm watching. And to her, we're both in the same room. We're watching the same movie for her. She thought she was satisfying what I was asking for. For me, it wasn't at all, but I didn't know how to articulate that then. Right. Right, so I'm frustrated because I feel like my mom doesn't want to spend time with me. In her mind, she absolutely thinks she was, right? So, and then the other one of mine was my my primary's acts of service, both in giving and receiving, right? So, So here I am, I am 30 years old. I am in an airport for, I don't know, probably the 15th time in my life my mother is late again to pick me up from the airport. I am crying in the airport. I am 30 years old crying. Now, intellectually, I'm yelling at myself, going, You are so stupid. Like, why, after all these years, does this still bother you? Like, she has been late your entire life. So, intellectually, I knew that had nothing to do with my mother loving me, you know, when I figured out what was wrong with me, when I read his book and I realized that acts of service is my primary love language. And that was the thing she fell on all the time. Things like that, like picking me up on time or getting me somewhere on time or helping me do something to what, you know?
2: Yeah. Yeah. yeah.
1: She was not, that was just not a big deal. If you know, whatever you'll be all right. Was the response. And every time that happened, that I internalized that is a lack of love, but it wasn't until I was 30 and read the book (laughs) (laughs) that I even understood what was going on. And then it was like, Oh my God, that's what, what's wrong with me all these years. What the heck? You know? And then I could see for her it's gifts. It was gifts and probably gifts and words of affirmation, Mm -hmm. which are like my bottom two. Right. Right. So she's, (laughs) you know, she's like, Doing that, she's buying me gifts, and I'm like, "Gee, that's nice, dear." <laughs> and Damn. and so those are things that are like important. Dads, learn learn how to what 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 does your child need, and your children will need different things.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: You know, allow them to be who they are. You know, and and they will be. You will be amazed at what will what the 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 joy and the experience you will find as a father, will be so much richer, you know, that it will really be the crown that God intends that to be for you as a man. Yes. You know, to have a really enriching experience with your kids is is amazing. Yes, And have the is, opportunity to do that, you know. My, my, you know, when I met my dad, it turns out that I'm <laughs> so much like my dad, perhaps more than any of his other children. And he's got several. He was married before, and then my mom, and then he was married again. So, Um, you know, I've got eight siblings that I know. And so um, maybe seven I know, one I don't know. And, uh, but out of all of them, you know, I may be the most like him and was the one who really embraced a walk with the Lord. So we walked that together as well. Yeah. And um, and so we we wanted to minister together. So uh, my dad got ill, which is also why I never learned how to swim.
2: <laughs>
1: oh wow. Um, because we were actually preparing for that. Yeah. Like the next time, you know, he was coming to wherever we were he was gonna teach me how to swim. He got ill and uh and he passed. Um, but and we he he came to faith in prison and we wanted to do prison ministry together.
2: Whoa.
1: Yeah. <laughs> and uh we didn't really get a chance to do that. But he and I began the book began by my dad and I writing our stories together. We wrote alike. So the tone and voice and language and everything, that was one of the first things we discovered. Uh, he showed me something that he'd written and I was like, oh my God, this is so crazy. I could have written this, you know? So mm-hmm. we started telling our story together. That's actually what the book, the, it didn't start out as a book to minister to people. It started out as just me and my dad. And
0: you published that one?
1: Story. Well, yeah, but well, but what happened was- What I'm
0: asking is people can buy this.
1: Yeah, it's, it's in Hunger for Wholeness. So our okay, story okay. is now in that book. But it started out just our telling our story. That's all yeah. it was. And then, like, I shared it with a few people. And it really ministered to people. And a roommate of mine who was a professor at at Berkeley had me read it to her English class or whatever. And kids are, like, crying. These are, like, whoa. college students. I'm like, whoa, what's going on here? You know, it had way more impact than I thought it would to others. And then I met a woman who was actually involved in prison ministry, and she took it with her to the prison. You know, it was just... Cause he talks about, you know, getting saved in prison, in the story
0: mm-hmm. and everything.
1: And so then I took it, uh, I came back to DC to visit an old professor and, uh, who had been kind of like a surrogate father to me in college. And he read it and he goes, you know, if you like got a few other people's stories and put that together, that could be a really powerful book. I hadn't even considered that. I was like, huh, who knew? Okay. It took 10 years, but eventually that's exactly what I did. Wow. And so it actually tells my story, and then six other sons, daughters, and fathers.
0: <laughs> so, in theory, you could have had years and years of resentment and blah blah yeah. blah, and all this stuff, yeah. and uh, fear and anger and whatever. Yeah. And when we look through it from a biblical lens and realize that our stories, yes, you know, God uses all good, yes, God uses things for for the good, yes, and you know, you go through this whole journey and you go,
1: huh, yeah. Exactly. That's exactly what happened. Because afterwards, so as soon as I published the book, that was in 2012, the first publishing, I immediately got thrust into this space of this fatherlessness movement, like immediately. Uh, that fall, I ended up being the only female speaker and the opening keynote speaker for the inaugural Father Shift Conference in Portland, Oregon. Okay. And uh, I had the pleasure and I mean, just, I mean, it's, it's you can only know that God orchestrated it because there is no way um I ended up getting Dr. Ken Canfield's Oh yeah, I know Ken. I bet you do. Yeah. yeah. He uh I hunted him down. I felt like the Lord said get his endorsement. And I was like, that is crazy. This is a conversation. <laughs> this is a normal conversation I have with the Lord when He tells me to do stuff like this. I said, That's crazy. This man didn't know me from Adam. I am nobody. He said, Find him. So I did. So I hunted him down. Yeah found him. At that point, he was at World Impact in LA. And I said, hey, you know, I've written this book. (laughs) I felt led to ask you to endorse it. He writes me back and he goes, do I know you? No. Do you work with World Impact? No. He goes, yeah, "Yeah, I don't. He goes, I don't normally do this where people like I don't know or aren't a part of this. And he goes, having said that, I really like your writing. So then he says, um, do you have a call to action? Yes, but it's for the end. And do you tell you know, the eternal story, I said, yes, that's closer to the end. I had sent him just the intro and I said, they're very, very rough chapters, but I'm happy to send you the rough drafts of those two chapters. So he told me to send him. So I did. About a week later, he wrote me back and said, you'll have an endorsement by the end of the week. So (laughs) that was miraculous. Then I ended up getting the endorsement of the new head of the Father Center, uh, National Center for Fathering. And so both of them endorsed the book. Right. So that was crazy all by itself. And then shortly thereafter, that summer, it came out, I think, in April. And then that summer I heard from Dr. Canfield, who said, there's this conference I think you should be at. I've already talked to the the pastor leading it. Wow. And so he, you know, the pastor called me eventually. I could tell he was kind of like, who are you? And I said, I know. (laughs) Nobody knows me. I know. You know, but. Um, later, Dr. Kim told me what he told him. I was like, what on earth? You know, so he told the man there was this new voice in the fatherhood movement and she needs to be at your conference. And, and I was sitting there going, okay, first of all, I didn't know I was in the movement. Second of all, I didn't know I had a voice there. <laughs> you know, like what on earth? But I went. Um, part of me was terrified, but it was so, I knew for sure I was supposed to do it, you know. And I'm in a room with, 400, it was packed out. They had to bring in extra chairs in the sanctuary. And I was worried that I wasn't going to be able to talk for 45 minutes. And it ended up going over and over. Mm. I only got to one question and they had to like yank me off the stage, cut me. And then we prayed over people. But it was, the impact was just phenomenal. And in the middle of that, I knew that this right here, this is what I'm called to do. It was uh It was like it was like in in Chariots of Fire where he says, when I run, I feel God's pleasure. Yeah, that's what it was like. I I never understood what that meant until that day. And in that moment, because to be honest, I really couldn't tell you what I said. Almost, you know, it was like God was speaking through me. I was there, but it was like this right here is what I was born to do this right here. This is the heart message. And yes, it was born out of that experience of not having a dad. You know, he used all of that. You know, God is just so awesome like that. Mm. And and there are so few women in this space. And I think it's important to have women's voices in this space as well.
0: Yeah. Oftentimes when I uh, run into women and, hey, can I come on your podcast or whatever? It's like, oh, <laughs> we'll, see. we'll yeah, see. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> You gotta be bringing something. So I I love, love, love what you brought to us today, and uh, and I love your perspective on things. And thanks for sharing all your thank you stories and wisdom. And um, you know, down the road, have you back on again? And (laughs) thanks, crazy all the connections and people that uh, that you run into. And like I just had uh, had dinner with. Yeah, a small group. We had like eight of us at a table with Dr. Ken and his wife nice. and, and some others uh-huh. a couple months ago. So it's funny nice. that yeah. you've also had a intersection oh, yeah. with him as well.
1: Oh yeah, we still keep in touch. Yeah.
0: So, uh, how can people connect with you? Uh,
1: okay. And the then... best way oh, to ahead. reach me is through my website, which is www.wellfedresources.com. Perfect. And there's a tab that says Healing. And so that'll take you directly to book, workshop, etc.
0: Perfect. Very good. And then the next one is, you may know about the challenge, but I'd love for you to throw a challenge out for guys, ah. for dads to do, something that they can do this week. So in between okay. this podcast and the next podcast, okay. it could be easy or it could be hard. <laughs> okay. <laughs> But something that change. they can do. So guys, okay. typically all or none. You know, if I can't okay. do all of it, then I'm not going to do any of it. But so okay. something that, something that okay. bite sized enough okay.
1: can be challenging. Okay. Okay.
0: Where that so, help them become a better. Yeah, you you got the concept. So we're all. I
1: it. do. Okay. So I would like them this week, no matter how many children they have. <laughs> I would like them this week to spend at least one hour with each child one-on-one doing something that the child wants him to do with them, and uh-huh. regardless of the age of the child whether it's an adult child or
0: yes <laughs> even yeah if,
1: even if you got to facetime it spend at least one hour this week with your child
0: <laughs> that's great that's great picture picture that picture you right now with your if you're if your dad's alive and maybe he's out of town and your dad says, hey, could we, you know, schedule an hour and just hang out with each other via Zoom or FaceTime or whatever? What? Where's this coming from?
1: That would be awesome.
0: That would be cool. That would be cool. Yeah. So, um, yeah, it's a, it's a neat thing to reach out to your kids in that way or to have your own father reach out in that way or go uphill with it. Reach yeah. out to your dad and yeah. spend yeah. some intentional time with your dad, yeah. too. So, Absolutely. Uh, just like my buddy who put his goals out there and then put his action plan together and then scheduled intentional time for all twelve months so that he can accomplish what he wants to accomplish that intentional quality time with his family members and that one on one time. What a great challenge and guys, look and see where your time is and and match yeah. it up and you know allow your your kids to come up with that activity or Allow your dad to come up with an activity as you spend time with them, something they want to do. So that's a a great challenge. That's a fun challenge. That's a challenge that builds on itself because once you do it, you want to keep doing it.
1: That's right. That's
0: right. Mm. That's awesome. Well, God bless
1: you, Jeezy. God bless you too, (laughs) Dad. You got it. Oh, awesome. (laughs) Well,
0: thank you so, so much. And uh, yeah, guys, definitely check out, check out her books, check out her website. And uh, again, appreciate you coming on and uh, down the road, looking forward to having you come on again.
1: That would be delightful. Thank you so much, Dan. You have a blessed day.
0: You too. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Thank you for listening to this episode of The Journey of a Christian Dad podcast. Thank you guys for being a light. Shine that light out and let others see it. With you guys, part of this community, it helps me be accountable to you guys. Helps me be accountable to myself